stupid. He comes across in front of me every single time he overtakes. Where does he want me to go off the track? No! Stop talking to me in the braking zone. Okay, okay. Cut the music. Cut the goddamn music. There is only one way to celebrate this 151st episode after a certain team won the World Cup. Ryan King, our honorary Frenchman, take it away. A music de la patrie les Uruguayes arrivés. Quand de la patrie ses talents sont galants et lavés. Oh, I'm just doing that when they don't remember the words on the field. <laughs> <laughs> this, is, this is really authentic. Keep going. <laughs> now nah, we're done. We're done. We're, we're up to the part where, like, not even French people remember. <laughs> <laughs> right, King, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to episode 151 of the Motorsport 101 podcast. I'm your host, Mr. Andre Harrison. Thanks for listening. As always, it's a pleasure to be here. Um, and oh, what a what a fun weekend the motorsport we had. Not even an F1 wheel was turned this week. Eh? A a pretty crazy bumper finale um, with, with, the, with the double header at New York to, to crown a new Formula E champion, the fourth different champion in four years and let's just say it was a, another really really good day to be french um across the board actually figured about indycar as well for a second is john eric verne the fourth formula e champion good for him and more on that very very shortly and the indycar grand prix of toronto as well as uh, team eh came up through the field quite nicely but it was scott dixon who turned the screw uh, in terms of the championship fight as he stole a win right from under the nose of Joseph Newgarden in dramatic fashion. It was a quite crazy race in Toronto, actually, especially for IndyCar standards. 145 overtakes as well. 50 more than last year's race. It was a fun time for all involved. Even Connor Daly, who has beef now. <laughs> yeah. How did Connor Daly have beef? Find out more <laughs> as this show goes on. But with me, as always... French national anthem at all. It's honorary Frenchman, Mr. Ryan King. Hello, sir. Yes, I'm so glad that my third favorite team on the tournament. <laughs> third. Third. <laughs> There's a list. Who'd have thought it? First it was Germany, I... then it was England, then it was Salz, then it was France. Anything after that home. would have been sadness. It, it, it didn't come home, ladies and gentlemen. I, I hate to write to, to like to break the news. They won that. It's look just as a, as a spoiler warning, right? It's not like we never said when it was coming home. Twenty twenty two in Qatar, it's coming home. All right, you heard it here first. Speaking of coming home, from Nashville, Tennessee's own, it's Mr. R.J. O'Connell. Hello, sir. Hello. Good. Uh, good day to you all. Um, we're just. Uh, I think we're all coming down from World Cup fever, and we're going to be ready to start this all over again in about a year when the when the actual World Cup starts up. I'm not talking about the World Rugby World Cup. That's very, very valid in itself, but also the Women's World Cup is yes. in France in 2019. Uh, and in that one, it's, uh, well, it went home last time. It's uh, it's staying home this time. <laughs> it's staying home. Get- Get, 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 it's not leaving under curfew. It's uh, it's uh, <laughs> it's it's they break out the wheaty boxes because Carly Lloyd's coming home. Um, <laughs> but uh, but uh, yeah, gosh, 
I mean, we promised on the set list this week that uh, for one night only, Keeping It 101 is back uh, to talk the World Cup. And uh, my God, the, f- the French won it all, um, which isn't entirely that big of a surprise, to be honest. They were like third favorites for most of the tournament. Um, let's just say Germany not making that, making it out of the group gave France a pretty golden chance to get there, and uh, they did. But <laughs> like of of the wor- of this World Cup, all the sure bets were not sure at all. <laughs> no, right, let's yeah, Germany out in uh out in uh, out in the group stage. Uh, Argentina and Portugal out in the round of sixteen. Spain mm. out in the round of sixteen. Knocked out by the uh, Russians. The home Russia, nation. Ru- yeah, Russia made it out. They were they were supposed to be a walkover of a host nation. Uh, didn't exactly play out like that. <laughs> made uh, it to the quarterfinal. <laughs> yeah, as uh, as revisionist history as it sounds, like England were not considered a favorite to go as far as they did, and they did. Yeah, yeah. yeah I mean, let look okay, Let's be completely honest here. Spain getting knocked out blew the entire right hand side of the bracket wide open. I have no problem admitting this. Um, <laughs> like, I know, like, the thing is, is that, this is one for your international listeners out there, us English didn't actually believe we were going to win this. Well, maybe not until Kieran Trippier scored that free kick in the semi-final. Oh, Jesus! <laughs> At that point, we thought, are we actually going to fucking do this? <laughs> and then it all went tits up from there. You know the story. But, like, the, like I know everyone outside of England hated us using It's Coming Home <laughs> so bad as, like, our official motivation speak. Listen, we're British. We are the most self-depreciating nation in the world. We were just taking the piss out of ourselves, okay? <laughs> like, And you know what? We enjoyed this ride. Gareth Southgate did a very good job with a team that, you know, had really no right of making the semi-final. And coming in fourth, I mean, okay, we were beaten by the really, really good teams. Like Belgium was a was a great team in there. Oh very my un- god, they were very unlucky not to make France, the final. France Belgium could have been the final. Oh like, god, that absolutely, could have been a really, really good final. Like Belgium finally had like the team play that all their individual talent had promised. Lukaku was fantastic all tournament. Kevin De Bruyne was fantastic. Eden Hazard was second in the Golden Ball Award for um, player of the tournament behind Luka Modric, who ended up winning the whole thing. Um, You know, they had a ton of superb players in that team, and they actually played like a team for the first time. It was a a very, very good team, and they were were very unlucky. They were on the left-hand side of the bracket where they had to go through basically Brazil and then France and then to, to, to make the final. They had the real murderer's row, which is what France had to go through. They had to go through Argentina... Friggin, what was it? Argentina, like a Belgium, Uruguay, and then Croatia in the final. There's a four really good teams to win the yeah. World Cup in the knockout stages, oh, and they did. Oh goodness, you know? yeah. Croatia might have been the story of that World Cup in the long run. Uh, oh, this God, is yeah. a country of four of four million people, the second smallest nation to make a World Cup final. Um, most people probably could not pick it out of the map. It's right next to Italy, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> and uh, they. With with all of that working against them in a in a tournament that has always favored the established powers, um, they 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 got one win away from uh from winning the whole thing. They yeah. did kind of get shelled in the final, but even still, that was a remarkable effort from them. Yeah, they were incredible, and like let's not forget they had to go through three extra time games in the playoffs to get to the final where they. 
They had, they had two penalty shootouts. It, they, it took them to extra time to beat England in the semis. And you could tell by about the 70-minute mark, they, they really did just run out of legs. You, I mean, playing three and then you know playing three two-hour games of football in in a space of nine days and then playing a fourth game three days later in the final um they were exhausted you could tell they were exhausted by the end and they just had nothing left to give and france who had had the extra days rest who had had beaten all of their opponents in 90 minutes as well um they were the fresher team and again like that france team is so good and the scary yeah. the scary thing is they could probably retain in four years time because their squad is still very young it's the second youngest team that was in the tournament um killian mbappe who was a very strong contender for player of the tournament for me um he wasn't even born the last time france won the world cup <laughs> 20 years ago um he's still only 19 and uh, he won the Young Player of the Tournament award. He somehow didn't make the top three for the big one. Um, Antoine Griezmann got that distinction by finishing third, but which I think was also a very fair shout because Griezmann had a great tournament. It was banding a match in the final for me as well. Um, like that French but team yeah, is so I, good, King. But yeah, like going back to Croatia, it's still respectable. They got to the final. Uh, Luka Modric took home the golden ball. Well deserved. Like yeah, and Croatia's president seems like a really cool lady. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently flew economy class. You know, you know, was was sitting with the fans in the stadium, hugged all the French players as well as the Croatian players. A real team sport. Um, like that was really nice. So Croatia, you seem to have a really nice president. That like that that's nice. <laughs> me, me, meanwhile, this president Macron goes like full fan in the state box. <laughs> he did. He was on his feet. He was fist pumping everywhere in, in the box. I loved it. Like Macron didn't give a fuck anymore. It was hilarious. <laughs> I give it three point five Maradona double middle fingers. <laughs> I, listen, I know they got bounced in the round of 16. That was still a good moment. It was hilarious. Yeah. It was hilarious. That was that, that game in general, the France-Argentina game, was the, probably the best game of the tournament. And that game was nuts. Um, oh, God. Like, Di Maria scores from 30 yards out, and that was only the second best goal in that game. <laughs> like, but like, Benjamin Pavard, who, I, I, like, somehow didn't win the BBC Golden Tournament Award. For some reason, that went to... Uh, Actually, it went to uh, it went to the Belgium goal against Japan in the uh, round of sixteen, the one where they scored basically on the final kick of the game. Um, it was yeah, yeah. it was that's a Chadley who scored. That was where I'm trying to remember the name it was Chadley, the uh, former Tottenham man that had scored it. Right, that was the 95th minute. It was the final kick, and you you wanted to just pour your hearts out for poor Japan. I remember that game. Japan were just broken. Oh, like, like they couldn't. Oh, Jesus. I, I thought they had it in the bag. Hey, can we talk about the fact that Hugo Lloris uh, let in an absolute howler uh, <laughs> and still came away with it okay? Yeah. Because uh, it had gotten a 4-1 at one point, and he, Lloris is doing a goal kick, just trying to pass it out. And, whoa, that's a Croatian uh, forward. Just uh, put it back in my own net. Yeah, Mario, Man- <laughs> Mario Mandzukic had a very valuable lesson as a child. Never give up on the play. Uh, <laughs> yep. Mandzukic was the first... He scored for both teams. He did. Yeah, they don't go like Antoine Griezmann's free kick bumped off his head and went in, and that was the quote-unquote twelfth own goal of the entire tournament, uh, which is should, I think shattered the previous record of six. Uh, there was twelve own goals in this tournament. Um, there was a, that was that controversial overturned handball as well from 
Ivan Perisic, who two minutes prior had scored a brilliant goal to tie the game for Croatia at one all, <laughs> and then has, an, a, has a handball VAR checked and then given, which I think was actually a pretty harsh, but yeah, you, you kind of had to give it sort of penalty, really. Oh, what a wonderful World Cup that was, King, eh? Like that, yeah. That was an amazing and World I Cup. Damn, mm. we should miss the World Cup more often. Right. <laughs> Hell. Well, like, one point I like to bring up is, I don't, I don't know, I've heard it from, like, a lot of the more in-depth technical commentators about the World Cup, mm. how, like, England is always, in terms of strategy, in terms of, like, team management, they're always a World Cup behind. And I think this is the World Cup that England finally caught back up. That it, th this, this wasn't about the World Cup. It was more about... Uh, it was this World Cup for England was more of a test of whether they should keep Southgate or not, and it seems like Southgate wanting to have a more continental style national team, ditching the the all star team format of like the last decade, going to like this is an actual team, like the way that Germany, the way that mm. France does it. Fran France's system, academy system, is incredibly okay. like yeah, it is yeah. thorough. It, it, the France yeah. France had. The, the amount of French players in the tournament is, like, on the French team and on the other, in playing for other nations, is twice as many as any other country. Yeah, France have the best youth academy system on the planet, bar none. And, and it's not even close for me, so I'm not entirely surprised at that. I mean, talking about England from, you know, from the only English guy on this show, um, yeah, I, I, I echo a lot of King's sentiments. This did seem more like a smoking gun test for Southgate, and I think he passed with flying colours. Um, I saw a B plus. I think I think his inexperience showed in the semi final because he just didn't change anything when they were under the cosh from Croatia in the second half. There was a lot of pressure, and Southgate didn't change anything. Um, taking off Raheem Sterling, who had a great tournament. You know, I know we will get a, we'll catch a lot of flack for not scoring and for being a successful black man in England. But, um, <laughs> yeah, we have problems with that here. Um, but, like, taking him off, after they took him off at about the 70-minute mark, England were completely toothless. Harry Kane was playing as a midfielder. It was really weird. Um, I still think there's a bit of work to be done, tactically speaking. I think, I think it's a, 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 very quietly, I think it's a real shame that... Um, Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain was not fit to make it because I think he would have flourished in this yeah. system because uh, he plays a very similar role at Liverpool at the moment where he's playing as like that forward playmaker who's got a lot of pace in him because uh, I think I think Deli Ali I think was a lot more hurt than was when we were giving off during most of the tournament I think he he got injured in the first game against Tunisia and I think he was never a hundred percent after that um, I think Southgate put a little bit too much faith in him I think maybe he should have gone with Loftus Cheek instead. Um, for something different. I mean, he's, look, he's a six foot four, really fast black man. Who's stopping him after the seventy five minutes of play? <laughs> but um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, like, th there's little things I could nitpick about Southgate from the semi final and and the the playoffs in general. But bottom line is this for me: Southgate got this country believing again, and that's something that we've not. I, I personally haven't felt as an England football fan ever. In my lifetime, probably the last time was was probably 1990 when we made the semi-finals, and ironically, some guy called Gareth Southgate missed a penalty um, against against West Germany. <laughs> um, it's never brought up, honestly. Um, but 
he got the he got the nation to believe again, and that is something that I didn't think was possible. Beating Colombia in a shootout of all things was was massive. And, you know, yeah, y'all never win shootouts. Right, shoot. <laughs> right. we bought all of those. And we, yeah, we scored four out of five penalties, and we actually won a shootout against a pretty good Colombia team. Yeah, I know they were missing James Rodriguez, but that's still a really dangerous Colombia. That was the definition of a banana peel game. You take your eye off the ball, they can punish you. They're a very good team. Um, they were probably the most under-talked about. Uh, one of the biggest stories out of the 2014 World Cup was how good Colombia were and how Rodriguez was probably player of the tournament. But, yeah, I mean, this nation started to believe again. People were throwing beers in Hyde Park at, like, to the tune of 50,000 people. There was, you know, people were putting their England flags outside their houses again. Like, the roads were empty. People were jumping up and down in the park. I was on a date on the Saturday during the Sweden game. And like when when Harry Maguire scored that header, like the whole park, like you could hear the roar, like because it was because I was in Green Park right by Buckingham Palace, and you could you could hear it, the, the screams. It was amazing. Like this, like England is a bit shit at the moment. In case you haven't been able, in case you've not been reading the news, <laughs> like politically speaking, it's completely fucked. There's not a lot to be happy about over here right now, but. 25 million people watched the semi-final. We actually believed we actually had a shot here. And it brought the, the country together. I think only London 2012, really, as the Olympic Games we had six years ago, you know, has really, like, brought this country together like a proper melting pot again. Because, like, I live in London. I've been, I've been, I've lived and I've been raised in London my entire life. Um... Like, it is a proper melting pot, this city. It's got every culture, uh, it's got every culture and sexual preference, and, and, and it's a proper melting pot. It's got everything you can think of in it now. And we came together and we were happy about something. And it was the football team, of all things, the one thing that's consistently let us down over the last two decades. <laughs> like, and so, yeah. so, so it was actually nice that we could all get behind something for once and actually be excited. So um, to all those pretentious Americans out there and the Scots and all the other home nations that were really mad about England being successful, kiss my ass, okay? <laughs> like, right between the cheeks, because... <laughs> God, let people enjoy things for fuck's sake. Also, oh no, that was good. Also, that was a very good time. Also, humble brag: I may or may not have bet not only on France to win the whole tournament, but also Croatia each way to make the final. <laughs> I won 150 quid off t off 20 pounds worth of bets. I'm very happy with myself for basically predicting Either the final. Either way, Dre wins. I won. <laughs> like I couldn't lose. I was like. Okay, so I, 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 I get 150 if France wins, or I get 250 if Croatia wins. It's like, I can't lose, because Croatia was 33 to 1 before the tournament started. Uh, uh, nobody gave Croatia a prayer, and uh, yeah, that's that was quite the upset. So yeah, the bookies kind of got hosed on that one, which is good to know. Uh, that's always fun. Um, so yeah, for me, that was the best World Cup I've watched in the... Five I can remember going through in my life so far. That was a wonderful World Cup. Russia put on a very good show. Um, and Vladimir Putin got an umbrella. So, you know, that's all good to know. And as a United fan, I'm friggin' delighted for Paul Pogba as well, who has taken so much shit from everyone in the media. And like I said, I openly acknowledge that f football media is a little bit racist when they're talking about how, you know, Pogba's 
bad performances might come down to the colour of his hair. <laughs> like, oh my god. Or the fact he, he does one too many commercials, and I'm like, this sounds like code to me. Like, like it's like, like the same shit we've seen with Raheem Sterling over the last few years. And for him to basically win the World Cup and was one of the players of the tournament in that French team, um, yeah, I'm very proud of Paul Pogba. Um, so as a United fan, delighted for him. And no, and the thing is, nobody can say shit to him now. He's got he's got a World Cup winners medal and he had a boarding tournament. So I'm fucking delighted for him too. Um, any other closing comments, fellas? Oh man, King! I I'm, so- I'm just thinking like I'm thinking like I would love to see it. Just imagine it. It's 2022. Uh, a revitalized, rejuvenated U.S. men's national team uh, not only qualifies, but puts in a deep run. They get past the round of 16, maybe even get all the way to the semifinals or even the final match, restoring faith in American men's soccer. And, you know, they've redone the pipeline, the uh, the youth academy. They've invested in Latin American players who were born in the United States and got them all the way up to uh, to create, you know, the actual U.S. men's football dynasty that a lot of us around here have dreamed of. And then I turn FIFA 18 off and go play something else. <laughs> Christian Pulisic will um, lead you guys to at least a World Cup group stage in four years' time, I'm sure. Given this one a solid, uh, given it a solid nine point five out of ten, that was a good World Cup. Like I said, we should miss this war more often. Mm, mm. Yeah, there was no no pressure, no stress involved. Yeah, I, I, I can't argue with that. That was a, an amazing World Cup. Should we talk about some motorsport now for a bit? Hell yeah! yeah. Let's do but this first, thing. before we, but just before that, places you can find us one more time. Um, we're on YouTube.com forward slash Motorsport One Hundred and One. And dear, holy shit! Um. I said that I said that during the segment we put up there as well, ironically. But uh, I have to say, well done, everybody. Um, the Santino Ferrucci segment we put up regarding his Formula 2 meltdown in Silverstone earlier this week. Over 10,000 views, ladies and gentlemen. What the hell is wrong with you all? <laughs> have you guys got... Certainly have you people got nothing Ferrucci better himself. to do with your time? Like, seriously, you people are bonkers. Thank you so much. <laughs> seriously. Thank you. Um, over 10,500 views in the last four days um, at the time of recording this on uh, Tuesday, July 17th. Thank you all so much. That is incredible. It is the third most watched video in the history of Motorsport 101. The only two that have done bigger was the story of us at Antorio Motor Speedway. Um, and the uh, and the famous Drabi video we did about Daniel Kvyat, which I think the Russian media picked up. So it's got like fifty thousand views now. Don't ask me how that happened. I still have Emily a beer for editing that one. Um, <laughs> but uh, like we have gained over a hundred subscribers in the last four days from that video. It puts us well over eighteen hundred as well. So thank you for giving us a chance and sticking around for a bit. Hopefully there'll be a lot more to come um, in the coming weeks and months. So, um, and now we are over 300,000 total views as a channel so uh, one more time thank you all so much for watching that video um and yeah that was that was a home run we don't get those very often so 
Um, thank you so much. You guys did the Lord's work on that one, and we are very, very grateful. Um, so thank you all so much for that. Um, we're on Facebook.com forward slash Motorsport 101. Um, we are on uh, Twitter as well, at Motorsport underscore 101. And if you'd like to follow our personal handles, you can at Harrison101HD, at Ryan Eric King, that's with two Ks, and at RJ O'Connell. And if you really, really like us, you can back us financially on Patreon, patreon.com forward slash Motorsport 101. $5 gets you early access to both this show and to bike live as well episode 68 of that went up this past weekend um the last samurai um basically a, it's a very long show it was a two it was a two and a quarter hour special edition of motorsport of bike live this week as we talked a lot about these the tragic passing of, of william dunlop in the in, from the world of road racing as well as the shock announcement that danny pedros is actually retiring and not going to yamaha holy shit um I, like i, I like I feel old just even mentioning that because, like, Pedrosa was, like, one of the two riders I can remember growing up with watching MotoGP the most. And we're down to one. Like, Valentino Rossi's the last one. And he's probably going to ride till he's, like, 60. Damn. <laughs> this is crazy. Like, I still remember Pedrosa's rookie season in the top flight from 2006 like it was yesterday. And uh, that that unfortunate crash he had with Nicky Hayden and Estoril that year. Oops, but um, no, Pedrosa, I've, I've said it on, on I'll, I'll talk about it on Bike Live a bit more as well, I did it on the episode, but uh, one of the toughest dudes I've ever seen in all of motorsport and a brilliant rider, and the fact that the guy is five foot two, seven stone, soaking wet, and is still one of the greatest bike riders the world's ever seen, he's an incredible dude, an incredible athlete, and the, the tributes poured in over this weekend at the Saxon Ring as well, um, guys like, all over the Spanish sporting world, because, you know, the Spanish love their bike racing. I saw people like Pau Gasol and Fernando Alonso and Andres Iniesta even uh, was was pouring out tributes to Danny Pedrosa and his legacy. Um, let's not forget, like, the resurgence of Spanish bike racing pretty much started when Pedrosa and Lorenzo came up to the top flight. So um, all about that as well. And a Superbike Sunday doubleheader um, with World Superbikes at Misano. Um, Jonathan Ray took another double win, but man, did he have to work for that one, especially in race two. Uh, a dogfight between him, Michael Vandermark, and Marco Melandri uh, at Masano. And BSB in Knock Hill as well, as Leon Haslam and Jake Dixon split wins, as Haslam has now won six of the last seven. So a terrifying run of form. Um, so all of that on episode 68 of Bike Live as well. And if you if you like to back us for, for 10 bucks on Patreon as well, you get into our Discord server where you can, you know, listen to these episodes live as they go out and you can interact with all of us as well and find out about all the porn that was being sent in Nando Norris's Discord server. Trust me, it's 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 well worth digging those up. If that isn't worth 10 bucks, I don't know what is, quite frankly. <laughs> so, without further ado, let's get into the musical interview and when we're back, we'll talk about Formula E in New York City. Well, well, this was quite the weekend, fellas, wasn't it? Um, 
It's it's like Formula E cannot have like a quiet season finale. It has to have <laughs> it has to have some dramatic shit go down in some way, shape, or form. And uh, this weekend was no exception. <laughs> like right from the get go, right from qualifying on Saturday um, for race one, we had all sorts of we had all sorts of crazy shit. Oliver Turvey um, missed out on the weekend after basically breaking his pinky finger. In the car, McQueen Hart had to fill in for race two. That was a big bummer because Turvey thinks had a very underrated little season. That's a bummer for him. Um, and T Cheetah were disqualified from from the first from the first qualifying session on the Saturday for basically running over their power supply limit. And uh, yeah, both Lotterer and Vern had to start from the back. Um, it would have probably been a bit more significant. Yeah, so- yeah go on, go on, RJ. Like, I mean. Yeah, yeah, this is where the point where we're thinking like, oh boy, here we go again. The championship favorite is going to bottle it the very last round. Yep. on it. Come on, but it uh, turns out Sam Bird was was pretty much struggling in his DS Virgin car all weekend as well. I think he started race one from 14th, I want to say. Um, so it really wasn't all that much a, a handicap for the T-Cheetah guys when race one actually got underway. Um, well... We're talking a bit about race one. I mean, let's cut to the chase here, King. Audi is OP as fuck. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, it's, 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 it's... Where were the, where were they at the start of this season? Blown batteries and mislabeled, uh, mislabeled parts, I think, is the answer to that one. Um, <laughs> but, yeah. uh, yeah, it's, uh, whew. Like, Degrassi, I think, he, I think he started from fourth, I think, in race one. And, like, he had to... Cl- he started from fifth, actually, sorry. Um, but because of the uh, the disqualifications, he ended up starting third in the end. But <sighs> it is crazy how they were able to just sigh through Sebastian Buemi and just take the front of the field like that. It's uh, it's like we we all see all the lifting and coasting in Formula E all the time, right? But it's like they just didn't have to lift and coast. It was like they were harder. They was foot hard down on the front, and they were just passing people for fun. King, it was ridiculous. Yeah, it was crazy. It was. Man, because the circuit has a slightly different format than last year mm. to, to help overtaking, but I didn't think it would be that easy to go from the back to the front. Yeah, as we saw with John Eric Vern, who, as mentioned, had to start from the back of the grid um, because of the penalty. And um, yeah, he they like both T cheaters were just carving their way through in the end, and you know, including a critical pass on Bird for the championship. I mean, the maths at the time essentially was. Vern had to outscore Bird, I think, by seven points on the day to win the title on that night. Um, and as time went on, Vern was just picking people off. And yeah, Vern ended up climbing all the way to fifth place in the end. Um, so from the back to fifth, one of the one of the great Formula E comebacks in, in modern times. I think the only one I can remember like that was remember when Buemi did it in Argentina. When he started from the back and then yeah. finishing like a second off the win, <laughs> he almost beat yeah. Sam Bird. That was brilliant. Yeah, like Vern was sensational. I mean, don't get me wrong, a, a late safety car certainly helped, um, but no matter which way you slice it, to finish only four seconds off the victory in the end, that was enough to seal Vern the title. He finished in fifth. Bird was down in ninth. It wasn't enough, um, and yeah, Jev. Jev is our is our season four Formula E champion and uh, King. What what a lovely redemption story for 
one of the real high-profile Red Bull castaways. The guy that was not back from a Red Bull factory seat on two separate occasions um, for Daniel Ricciardo and then Daniel Kvyat as well. You know, he's, he's, he's taken to Formula E from early days in season two. I remember, remember when it was with Andretti and he had that really great start. I think I think it was at uh, Punta del Este and he, he very nearly won his first race in the seat and then he had a mechanical problem and he's come such a long way since then. We, like, we, I, I, I think he was still winless going into this season. and Yeah, he was still winless going into the season and it's easy to forget that it was like a month in between his last Formula 1 like race and his first Formula E race in Punta del Este. Yeah. Correction from Henry, thanks so much for that. He did win the last race at Montreal last yes, season. Because so. I was there. Yeah. How did you forget yeah, that? There was a, uh, <laughs> yeah, there was a point in time where Jev always had the speed to win in Formula E cars, but something was missing. He couldn't keep the pace up, he couldn't save the energy, but as it as uh as he got to Tachita a team that we should disclose he is a part owner. John Eric Fern is a part of, as a investor in Tachita itself. Mm-hmm. Um, especially towards the end of season three, he started to turn around, got that first victory, and finished every race in the points. Zurich was his worst finish. Apart from that, he finished every race inside the top five with four victories. Mm. That is insanely good, Jeff. Yeah, this this really did seem like the year that Jeff really did put it all together. Um, just across the board, consistent, fast, was able to start converting some of those top fives into wins, and yeah, just brilliant all the way through. And again, that that last race, um, well, that, that that last weekend, that comeback pretty much sealed the deal and just summed up, you know, just how far Jeff has come as a driver in terms of Formula E. Um, a, a brilliant fight back and a brilliant title, and. Uh, there wasn't a dry eye in the house when he, when he, did, when he dedicated uh, the season to to his, his great friend Jules Bianchi, who, as we're recording this, sadly, is the third anniversary of him passing away, which is a you know a, a lovely touch um, to, for Jeff to dedicate that to Jules. Um, and yeah, a, a, a an awesome moment for a real a real you know, a classy guy and a great ambassador for Formula E. Um, and just a great all-round funny dude as well. Like the, I have to say, in general, it was really nice to see like the, co- the like the camaraderie um, between like him and Sam Bird, who was fighting for the championship this year. Um, like they, they were, I saw saw the funny picture on Saturday afternoon of like after both their bad qualified sessions, Vernon Bird arm in arm, oh, like dear. well, this didn't go well, did it? <laughs> Um, it's it's <laughs> nice that in in a world of motorsport where we hype up every title feud on on, on God's green earth and you know um, we often play up the, the rivalries and generally ba- like feuds based in hate. It was a nice refreshing change to have a, a, a rivalry conducted more out of respect than anything else, and that was that was great. And you know Sam Bird, we we got to give a mention to Sam Bird, who again has been. Uh, yeah, again, he's been uh, he's been here right from the very start. He's been a believer in this series from day one. Um, he's always been a, a race winning level guy. He's again, this was another year where just sheer consistency kept him in it pretty much all the way till the very end. And the DS Virgin, I don't think ever really is like 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 they were the best team in the paddock. And yet Bird was winning that car into really strong positions um, on a on a frequent basis and. 
Yeah. Yeah. You only have to look at the difference between his form and rookie Alex Lynn mm. uh, to get to just kind of show like how much Sam was getting out of that DS Virgin, which is reportedly slow and heavy mm-hmm. and not yeah. very efficient. Like and, from friendly show Hazel Southwell, apparently it's not 10 kilo, kilo, kilos overweight as it's being widely reported. It's actually 15. Oh, Lord. That's like one whole Danny Pedrosa on your rear wing. <laughs> but, uh, but uh, yeah, like that, it, there's, it's been well documented that that car is not ideal. And it, like Sam talked about it after the first race on Channel 5 and they were covering it, talked to Vernon K about it. And he said straight up, we just didn't have the efficiency to be able to compete with Tichita and, and Audi in the second half of the year. And yet, <laughs> had two wins this year, won the opening race in Hong Kong, won in Rome, had a great second place in Zurich, you know, was on the podium three other times. Like like Bird like this was his be- it was his best season in Formula E to date. He's one of the best pound for pound drivers that this the sport has had since its inception. And again, a real shame that the the team basically seemingly just ran out of gas by the end of the year, but like a, a truly brilliant effort from Bird, a real fight. So, you know, the sad thing is he doesn't even get the silver medal for his trouble because Lucas Degrassi ended up pinching that right at the end of the year with, with like a first and a second this weekend. He ends up beating Bird in the championship by a point because Lucas doesn't like fun, um, basically. <laughs> More on that in a minute, but uh, props to Sam Bird as well for a, for a truly brilliant title fight all the way to the end. Um <laughs> Also, we got some drama between between the Aldis as well, especially in race one, where Daniel Abt really wanted to have a go to fight his team, but he had a couple of goes at it, didn't quite get there, and then Adam McNish was like, uh-uh, boys, we're not, we're not doing this, um, basically. And he was told on the radio, going to Jack Nichols on the broadcast, Code 100, um, which... According to Lucas, after the race, he, he told again Channel Five on on the on the broadcast said this that uh, it basically means play fair. I call bullshit on this. That, <laughs> on the on the world feed to Nikki Shields, he said that it was an energy converse, uh, conservation call. Which again, mm, Lucas, why are you lying? I call bullshit. I call bullshit on this man. Like I did it on my best John Oliver impression. I was like, I call bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> No, no, no. That sounded like team orders to me. I don't care what anyone says yeah. to me. That sounded like team orders because it looked like Daniel Lapp was the faster guy coming out of the pits. And they didn't want to potentially ruin the team's championship, which they were still fighting for. More on that in a minute. But um, it's funny as well because Daniel Lapp did win the fan boost. He had the most votes of anyone in race one, 25% of the vote. He had a fan boost, didn't use it in race one. Funny that. Uh, so uh, yeah, Audi ended. Was that the one that almost like ended under safety car, or like was very close to ending under yes, safety car? Yeah, b- yes, it was. Because there was a there was a late safety car. There was a there was a big wreck towards the end of that race. Um, I believe it was Alex yeah, Lynn. I, the aforementioned Alex Lynn just had a just lost it. Yeah. Oh, he, he crunched. Lost it. it through turn five. Lost the rear of the car. Spun it into the wall. There was a full course yellow for that. Um, safety car was deployed, and basically the race ended up under time limit, so we, we didn't get the full 45 laps. I think it was 43 in the end. 43, yeah. in fact. Yeah, it turned into a three-minute sprint race at the end, basically. The rules in Formula E are it's, it's time limit. All races have to be an hour plus one lap, basically. 
and it was it was doubly confusing because Lucas started the fight like, with a second to go left on the clock. It was really annoying. Um, so yeah, it was it was a bit of a confusing situation, but we got there in the end. Um, yeah, race one results real quick. Lucas Degrassi winning in the end by just under a second from his teammate Daniel Apt. Totally not controversial. Sebastian Buemi on the on the podium. He had a, had a great weekend, really. The most he could drag out of that Renault car, which he's admitted all season long, is just not the car it used to be. Um, in third, great drive from Tom Dillman in fourth place there for Venturi. Great to see him up, up the front, uh, as was Jev, as mentioned, John Eric Verne in fifth place, coming back from the back of the field. Nick Heinfeld in sixth for Mahindra. Andre Lotterer in his second T-Cheetah car was in seventh, ahead of Mara Engel in eighth. Sam Bird in ninth, falling on his sword in, in beautiful fashion. And Nicolas Prost, who started third and ended up falling all the way down to tenth in the end, um, ahead of Da Costa, yeah. Sarazan, Jerome D'Ambrosio, Felix Rosenquest, and Luca Filippi was the last of the runners in 15th, a lap down. Um, as mentioned, Mentioned Alex Lynn hit the wall on the DNFs. I think Lopez had a similar crunching one as well, um, off road as well. So he was another DNF as well as well as Mitch Evans, who just lost power right off the start line. I think he was started in second place and he just the engine just died as soon as the race started. Pulled off to one side, gone. Um, real, real gutting one for Jaguar, unfortunately. Um, so yeah, thanks for having me putting that in there. Drive shaft failure, apparently. Uh, that's a real shame for Mitch Evans and Oliver Turvey, as we mentioned, who did not start due to a a hand injury. Get more soon, Oliver. Um, race two, <laughs> and yeah, more crazy stuff right from the start this time. This <laughs> like we had controversy, folks. Before the start, we had we almost had a we almost had this race delayed due to lightning mm -hmm. and thunder. Ir yes. I irony, you know. <laughs> <laughs> a Formula E race that was delayed for reasons. Reasons being, uh, yeah, there was a there was a big thunderstorm in the area. Cleared up in time for the race. We 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 did get our race underway, um, as you do. So we got it sealed out in the end. But the start was probably the the, the story of the race, really, on this one. And uh, let's just say the T cheaters were a bit fast off the line, a little bit too fast off the line um andre lotterer and john eric Verne visibly were off before the red lights went out and uh lotterer took the well it was it was clear for lotterer it wasn't quite clear for Ver for Verne. the old zero reaction time debate yep um i've uh, it's <laughs> It's an interesting one. I, I talked about this on Twitter during the race itself, and I'm, I'll, I'll repeat what I said um, there here briefly because it's, it's this is the debate that's that's flown around a, a, quite a few times in recent years in bike racing and in car racing. Because the obvious car example is last year's Austrian Grand Prix when Valtteri Bottas seemingly jumped the start. It, Charlie Whiting deemed his reaction time to be 0.2 of a second, which is right on the limit of what is humanly possible um he got away with it daniel ricardo was adamant he jumped the start as was sebastian vettel who was right next to him on the grid even though there is there's there is actual evidence he was rolling his front tire as the red light was still on <laughs> but uh he got away with it um yeah it's, it's it, what makes this doubly controversial was that basically lotterer definitely jumped the start and was given a 10 second stop go penalty for it john eric Verne was investigated but was thought to be in the clear he was not penalized for it 
um, even though, and I was going to make this point to King a second ago, I saw that video ten times. He absolutely was moving before the red lights went out. Like, that... But the thing is, like... That's a jump! You, you, <laughs> the thing is, you can't really... Like, all the footage I can see, you can't see his car completely, whether it's moving or not. You can tell that he got a way better start than anyone else, but you can't see his car. And this is where the debate starts. It's like, how good is too good? Like, in track and field... Any reaction less than a tenth of a second after the gun is deemed un, un like inhuman, and therefore you try to jump the start. I remember this came up in MotoGP a couple of years ago, in a race in Mugello, where Andre Iannone, who started the race from pole position, he looked like he jumped the start. Turns out he did jump the start because his, his bike moved precisely when the red light went out. 0, 0.00 was the apparent official time that Dorna released, um, which basically meant he jumped it, but MotoGP's rule is, as long as the bike doesn't move until after the light goes out, you're in the clear. So, different sports look at this in different ways, and it's all sort of sketchy sometimes, but Jev got away with it, at least in my opinion. I feel like he got away with that one. He wasn't penalised for it. He was allowed to keep his monster start and would go on to win the race. Um, not controversial at all, everybody. Um, not at uh, all. Lost... Formula E controversy? Never. Season finale? Never. <laughs> you know. So that was fun. Uh, so, you know, big controversy over the starts. Lotterer has to take one for the team and takes a 10-second stop go. Vern gets away with it. But... It, that did matter because Aldi finishing second and third with Lucas Degrassi in second. Um, God, like, like that's the seventh consecutive race he's finished in the top two in Formula E this season and still finished 54 points off the championship because I'll show you how bad his start of the year was. Um, <laughs> but uh, his, second, his second and Daniel Lapp's third plus the bonus point for fastest lap was enough for T Cheetah to take. Uh, an L, effectively, as Aldi stole the team championship right from under their noses by two points, right at the death. 264 to 262. They had 11 points through the first four rounds, the first four races and three race mm -hmm. meetings. They turned that into 274 by the end of the season, a win by two points. Yeah, uh, an unbelievable turnaround by any measure by the app team, and God bless him. Like, Alan McNish was the happiest man in the world after race two finished. <laughs> he was hugging everybody. He was he was getting the beers out. He was hugging everyone in the Audi. He hugged Vernon Kay in the post in the post race coverage on Channel Five. He hugged the crap out of Vernon Kay, which was the funniest thing because McNish is a very short man and Vernon Kay is six foot five. It was like that alone in itself <coughs> was 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 very very funny. Um, I I have to say and um. I, I, I want to put up a tweet from friend of the show, Katie Fairman, who actually was very lucky enough to interview Adam McNish back in March, um, right after their disastrous start to the season that, uh, that, that uh, RJ mentioned. And he said that, you know, Aldi had to change their goals. They, like, they legitimately thought that, that the Constructors' title had gone. They, they thought that there was no chance they were going to win. And they came back, and they did. And they stole it with, with, with two points in hand right at the death. That fastest lap was significant from Daniel Apt in the end um, to get there in second and third. Um, what a turnaround from the Audi team. And given how, like, 
Given how fast their car was, it was always going to be a matter of could they find a way to make it reliable. And they did. And they reaped the rewards for it. Um, Audi's first manufacturer's Titan in Formula E, I believe. So, uh, yeah. Whew. Yeah. What a result for Audi there, King, eh? Yeah. Incredible to claw back and win the team's championship by two points. Yeah, four wins, two two each for both of their drivers, and again Daniel Lap going on. Sorry, not, I'm sorry, Lucas Degrassi going on that ridiculous run of seven straight races in the top two <laughs> to close the to close out the year. Um, congratulations to Audi, but you have to give a thorough like hand to T Cheetah for a brilliant season, all told. I mean, they were like like they they're an independent team. They like they're not. They're not factory backed, and yet here they are. And you know, Vern led the charge. Lotter and Morden did his fair share as well. Um, again, Vern with four wins. Lotter unfortunately didn't quite have a win, but had two other podiums in his own right as well. Um, They're basically using the same Renault Edams uh, package that Renault Edams did not get a whole lot out of this indeed, year, and, and no. outscored them nearly two to one. Um, it's it's it's, it's yeah. crazy to say the least, but. Uh, yeah, a, a, a truly brilliant effort there from, from T.C. to very unfortunate in the win. And Mark Pesson is one of the real good dudes in the paddock as well, so I'm a bit gutted for him as well because he's been super candid about the team all, all season long. He's been on TV coverage on the world feed constantly. And, yeah, it's a real shame. But I, I still want to say congrats to them for a great season, a great, great season. Um, a bunch of crazy stuff in that as well. Um Race two results real quick. Uh, just as mentioned, John Eric Verne survived the the constant attacks from Lucas Degrassi in the second half of that race. Was able to, to weather the storm and take the win. Uh, Daniel Apt in third, ahead of Sebastian Buemi in fourth. Felix Rosenquist in what could be his final Formula E race in fifth. He has still not got a deal for Mahindra for next year. And it looks like Nick Heinfeld is out of Formula E altogether for next season. So Mahindra could be starting over. Ooh. <laughs> So, um, I saw that news story this morning. I, I yeah. <laughs> so, uh, whew. yeah, Mahindra could be in some uh, interesting times for going looking forward for season five. Mitch Evans in sixth ahead of Nelson Piquet, his teammate. Nick Heinfeld in eighth. Lotterer in ninth after the penalty. And Sam Bird rounded off the points in tenth ahead of Prost. Sarazan, Maquin Ha. Alex Lynn in 14th, DaCosta in 15th, who've ended up finishing three laps down and with a ton of penalties as well because he basically caused an enormous wreck. <laughs> well done, Antonio. Well played, sir. Um, yeah, Marango, Luca Felipe, Jerome D'Ambrosio, Jose Maria Lopez, and Tom Dillman all failed to finish. And most of that came from one incident, which which could cause that full course yellow. It, was, uh, it, uh, it wasn't pretty, to say the least. Final championship standings for the year. John Eric Verne is your season four champion with 198 points, 54 ahead of Lucas Degrassi in the end. In second, who, as mentioned, beat Bird by a single point. Lucas, why do you not like fun? Um, Sebastian. Lucas Degrassi, <laughs> the only driver who has finished in the top three in the championship in all four seasons. Yeah, he's the guy. No, no doubt about it. Sam Bird has mentioned in third, a valiant effort for the DS Virgin team there. Buemi in fourth, digging the best out of a not-so-good Redo package this year. Um, he was ahead of Daniel Apt, who finished in fifth on 120. Felix Rosenquest, man, what, he had a great start to the season, and it all just went to shit in the oh, second half. Oh, jeez. <laughs> yeah, I also want to point out as well, this is the first season that Buemi did not win a race. 
Four podiums, but no race victories for the all-time leader in Formula E victories. Indeed, his second, his, his second in Marrakesh was the best result he had all season. Crazy, that one. Okay, yeah, Felix Rosenquist is mentioned in sixth. Mitch Evans in seventh for 68 points. Nice effort for him for the Jaguar boys. Ahead of Lotterer in eighth for 64 points. Nelson Piquet in ninth for 51. And Oliver Turvey with 46, rounding off the top 10. The team's championship, Aldi Sport app Scheffler steals it at the death with 264 ahead of T-Cheetah's 262. The bronze medal goes to DS Virgin with 160 points ahead of Mahindra in 4th on 138. Renault Edams in 5th. Uh, on 133. Man, long, last season seems like a long time ago, doesn't it? Uh, Jaguar mm. in their first full-time season on 119. Um, Venturi on 72 points in 7th. The Nio Formula E team in 8th on 47 points. Dragon Racing, sigh, in 9th with 41 points. And poor old Andretti at the back of the field with just 24 points in the end. So, yeah, that is your full Formula E season. And, yeah, it's, 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 it's like a couple of things we want to get through before we get to the end of the segment here. First of all, Lotterer and Vern did a full Lucas Degrassi King, didn't they? Yes, they, they were did? not wearing non-homologated underwear. <laughs> oh, it came up again. Uh, the, uh, the underwear needed to be fire-resistant, I believe. This was yes. not necessarily fire-resistant, but, you know... But it's electric racing. What's the fire risk? <laughs> Never. <laughs> Wear fireproof pants, people. Like, 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 let's be real here. We're men. We've got to protect the important things in life. For God's sake. So that was a 5,000 euro penalty. I don't think Vern was going to complain too much on the day. Just a, just, just a hunch. But yeah. uh, it, it's kind of sad, guys. It's the end of an era, really. I mean... This is it. This this was the last race for the Generation 1 Formula E cars. We moved to Gen 2 next season in December. And uh, whew, we've come a long way in four years, haven't we? <laughs> yeah, it's it's we're a long ways away from that last turn at, at Beijing. <laughs> <laughs> I remember yeah. that like it was yesterday. Nick Heinfeld being we catapulted via Trebuchet. <laughs> Yeah, we can cover so much more distance now with these cars. They can go a lot faster. Next year, they'll be able to do a full race distance, so you won't have any car changes. Mm -hmm. uh, I will say this, though. The Gen 1 cars race particularly well, even in the times where, you know, we moved away from these stock powertrain to basically open development. Um, it, it There was still some really, really good and very good close racing to be had. Mm -hmm amongst drivers who would make a who would still be worthy on any formula one grid absolutely that's been the bread and butter of the series from day one close often intense racing a lot of marketable you know a good mix of marketable names you know as well as up-and-coming talent that uh, may have maybe just not gotten their chance in f1 so far or have just been unlucky in other series and yeah like i mentioned we've come a long way from season one and um I'm sure maybe at some point along the line there'll be some sort of tribute made to the Gen 1 cars on this show. Or maybe another show. Who knows? But, uh, thanks for the memories, Gen 1 car. It's been a fun ride. Now, roll forward the Gen 2 car. Eee. Oh, dear. <laughs> the more watts for the electric gods. <laughs> yes. More batteries. More speed. Halos. 
Ellie. More torque. More LED lights. More Formula EJ. Mario Kart shortcuts. <laughs> it's gonna be lit. <laughs> Please come to our races. <laughs> um, Felipe Massa is here. That hasn't been a that hasn't been a draw since two thousand and eight. Um, <laughs> but hey, who knows? It should be a fun time for all involved. As mentioned, um, I, like overall, a pretty crazy season, and it's been it's been fun for sure. And it's again, it's been great that again, like more different stars are up the front. And you know, I, I was I was fearing it was going to be another year of of Renault E Dam's dominance with Buemi, which was getting just a little bit old by the end of last season. Um, and yeah, like it's it, like TNT Cheetah up there and Vern win it all is, 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 is just great for the series. Vern's a great dude and, and, you know, having Bird up there was, was fun and, you know, apt coming back from the dead and Mahindra was very good in the early going as well. Felix Rosenquist had a, had a, had a key role in this season and how it played out as well. So for me, it's been a very fun season indeed. So, uh. Oh, I enjoyed yeah. it. I, I wish I got to see more of it personally mm. because a lot of the racing was good. There were there were there were a couple of duds, but I mean that's that's par for the course. Not every race can be an absolute balls to the wall classic. <laughs> Indeed, and uh, yeah, like I said, a fun time for all involved, and uh, yeah, that will pretty much mark the end of our Formula E coverage um, on Motorsport One Hundred and One until most likely the winter months. But hey. We may have some plans to work on it in the future. Just just mm. hold that thought around around the autumn months. That's all I'll say for now. But um, to play us out, like, Lewis, I know you're listening to this. <laughs> like, I need, I, need I, need, I need Electric Avenue playing out as we go into IndyCar, okay? <laughs> it's the only fitting tune that works here, okay? So... Thanks for listening to all our four-minute coverage over the course of season four. I hope you all enjoyed it. And uh, yeah, after this quick musical interlude, we'll be back to talk about IndyCars Grand Prix of Toronto. We're rock down to Electric Avenue, and then we'll take it higher. Oh, we're gonna rock down to Electric Avenue, and then we'll take it higher. Is it a bird? Is it a plane? No, it's Scott Dixon. <laughs> Made a g- oh, I thought we were talking about Harrison Scott for a second. Uh, <laughs> 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 right, so before we crack open this oh uh, Honda Indy Toronto, we do have some uh, Mazda Road Indy news uh, from Pro Mazda. Harrison Scott took a wild ride in the first He took flight! <laughs> Oh gosh, I've I've watched it once. I think that's about all you really need to. Like, um, I'm just gonna pull this up. Uh, so they're going down into what is turn three. Scott clips the back of another car, uh, sends him over, and then he just careens off the back of another car right in front of them, and then just launches over. This looked like some shit out of Driven. <laughs> Uh, it's ridiculous. He probably got flung a good hundred feet forward in the air, and he was probably a, a good ten, fifteen feet up. I mean, I'm, 
Yeah, like like RJ just found the clip. I'm watching it again right now to just to get. I've not seen it in a good three or four days just to get like. Yeah, like it, it reminds me a lot of Mark Webber in Valencia um, a few years ago, but he basically catapults off the other the yellow cars. He's a good, I'd say, ten feet in the air, and he gets flung, I'd say, about a hundred and fifty feet forwards. It is insane. Uh, it, it is a the man got catapulted. It's 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 yeah. It's worse than Heinfeld's. <laughs> He walked away unhurt from it, too, and started the next race, I believe. What a warrior. <laughs> I don't know how he was able to get in the car with those enormous wings on his back, but uh, an impressive task indeed. So, IndyCar proper in the Grand Prix in Toronto, and uh, oh boy, this was, this was fun. Qualifying was a bit all over the place as well given the fact that uh, we had a mixed conditions qualifying session. It started out wet, but quickly dried out towards the end, and the cars just got faster and faster um, as, as the sessions went on. But it was Mr. Defend the Wine himself, Joseph Newgarden, who right at the death um, stole the, the pole position for 59.49 on the last lap of the session ahead of Scott Dixon in second and Pagano third on that one. Power, Rossi and Hunter Ray rounding off the fast six. Um, for me, that might be the best six dudes in the series right now. Um, that's a, I don't know if you can, get, you can get a more stacked round three than that, if you ask me. But uh, whew, that, was a, that, was a, that was a fun one. But uh, yep. getting into the race proper. And uh, it was, the first lap was pretty fun. Overtakes everywhere. Like, Team Canada almost took each other out. <laughs> like, they've actually bumped wheels of Wiccans and my heart was in my mouth for a second. They're like, no! <laughs> oh, no, Team Canada, don't take each other out. Oh, dear. Like, I, I don't want to see, like, two Canadians very politely rolling against each other on the floor like Neymar trying to fight each other. That, that, that wouldn't have been fun. But, uh, you know, Marco Andretti gained about five places off the start. He had a brilliant... They were almost five wide into turn one. It was... It was... It was crazy. On a street course. Yes. Yeah. On a street course, my dude. Yeah, it was ridiculous. It was a crazy... It was a crazy start. Will Power had a... Had a, had a bit of a sloppy launch, and it didn't quite work out for him where that's concerned, and lost a couple of spots. He had to, he had to take the deep route off the curb um, on that one, so that was pretty fun to watch as well. But it was Joseph Newgarden who survived and led for the early going. Um, the first 25 laps were effectively led by him. Um, the second hour was when things started to get a little bit wild, King. Yeah, it were... I wouldn't say it was chaos, but it was like... Basically, pit strategy got messed up because there was, you know, a safety car, and then next thing you know, a lot of people out front that you didn't expect to see out front. Yeah, to say the least. Um, so, what caused the first caution again? Remind me, because um, that was a lot of it. was uh, official reason for caution. Ryan Hunter Ray in turn three. Yeah, that's on the lap one. Twenty-eight. Mm-hmm. That was yeah. the one. But yeah. that wasn't the caution that we were all talking about because, uh, you know, the old saying in oval racing that cautions breed cautions? Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, as it, uh, as it turns out, we had a, had a little bit of a mess going, in a, uh, going on lap 34. Several cars getting caught up in a multi-car pileup, including Will Power yeah. and Alexander Rossi and Ryan Hunter Ray again. Yep. <laughs> Yep, Sebastian Bourdais was in it. Graham Rahal was in it as well. It was a five-car 
wreck. Amazingly, I think four of them were able to keep going after that, funnily enough, um, yeah. once they cleared all the cars out of the way. But uh, that bred another caution. And on said caution, on the restart, you see Joseph Newgarden's car and you go, Joseph, that's a bit of a wide line. Joseph, where are you going? Joseph, that's the wall! Uh, no! And next thing you know, Scott Dixon leads. And Joseph, what are you doing? Like, oh, this, this was infuriating to watch. Like, my brother is a massive Joseph Newgarden fan now. And, like, he was watching that with his head in his hands. And he was in that stage of denial where it was like, like, that couldn't have been a driver error. Something had to have broken <laughs> on the car, right? <laughs> and I was like, I was like, Ryan, that looks a lot like a driver error to me. Just, <laughs> just caught the marbles. Who would win? Uh, a 10-time IndyCar race winner and defending series champion or a bunch of little marbly boys? <laughs> <laughs> Turns out it was the marbles. <laughs> yes. Oh, poor Joseph. He ended up uh, falling down the order on that because he just got swamped after the restart. He ended up finishing in ninth in the end on this occasion, but it basically gift-wrapped the win to Scott Dixon, who then took off after that and dominated the second half of the race and wasn't really challenged the rest of the way. Like, Pagano, who'd got up to second and tried, he, he had to stand a bit of early pressure from him, exiting Robert Wickens, um, who he got, he got a little bit of a bump in turn one when he came out of the pits. And then Pagano almost runs him into the wall at turn three. Um, Simon, the fuck are you doing? He's, um, he's driving little with a little bit of French vigor, you know. Just earlier that morning, French had won the aforementioned World Cup. Yeah. Yep. Only only about an hour or so beforehand, France had won the World Cup, and Pagano was clearly feeling himself, um, probably physically and literally. Um, so, so, and yeah, he almost ran Wicking straight into the wall. Can, can we all just as a collective stop picking on Robert Wickens, please? He's a good boy. Like, what did he do to deserve such treatment? <laughs> like, mm. like seriously. <laughs> I don't know as what a... it is. People just, I, I don't know. Maybe they're just taking advantage of him because he's a rookie. Is, is this is this hazing? Is that it? Is this like <laughs> hazing? We're, we're, we're breaking Wickens in with like, with like the college paddle. He's got to wear a dress or something. Like, no, we, we're going to run him into the wall at Toronto. We're going to run him off the, onto the grass at Road America. We're going to take him out at turn one and rob him of a deserved victory. I mean, leave Wickens alone, everybody, okay? Leave Wickens alone. This is a direct order, okay? We can't have this. He did not come over from DTM just for you to, just for you to bully him like this. Indeed, and... Yeah, it uh, turns out, as mentioned, Scott Dixon pretty much won that one unchallenged afterwards. Dixon taking a pretty comfortable win by five seconds in over Simon Pagano in second. But still a good day at the office as Robert Wickens is back on the podium in third. RJ, sing it! <laughs> There's only one Robert Wickens. <sighs> one Robert Wickens. Look at a lot, singing a song. Walking in a wicked sweater land. There's only... I'm not drunk enough for this. Yeah. <laughs> so, somehow the Canadian National Anthem has gotten a whole lot better. Yes. Yes. <laughs> I can't argue with any of that. But uh, Team Canada, I mean, uh, as they call themselves, Team A, going the a, into... The A-Team. The A-Team. The A-Team going into this race. They, they, I mean, the qualifying wasn't wonderful. They started, I think, 8th and 10th for SPM, but... The uh, four, ninth they and 10th. They were yeah, on row bad. 5, and they made it up to 3rd and 4th, which means yep. they are now a very nice 6th and ninth in the point standings. 
yep, so, yeah, Wiccan's having, a, again, his, his, his brilliant rookie season continues, and yeah, like, not completely out of the title running just yet. Um, Wiccan's doing a very good job. Hinchcliffe as well, as mentioned, in fourth as well. Running it down, sadly, we have had no choice but to upgrade Charlie Kimball to slightly above average again, because fifth place from the 20th on the grid! Charlie goddamn Kimball, uh, Carlin's best ever result, their first ever top five in in the IndyCar series. And a stunning bit of driving from Charlie Kimball to get it up from 20th to 5th. Well done, Kimball. Well done. This is why he stuck around at, Forget at Ganassi for all these years. Again, Charlie Kimball has won races before. It was a single race, but he's still a race winner nonetheless. <laughs> He's capable of it. He's always been capable of drives like that. He's a solid dude at his best. He can regularly crack the top 10 at his best, and that was another good example of that. That was an excellent drive from, from Charlie Kimball. Tony Kanaan in it, which I believe might be Foyt's best result of the year so far. Don't have to double-check that one, but Kanaan in sixth place. Um, top Andretti on the day. Veach at the beach, everybody. Zach Veach at seventh. From 22nd on the grid. And his car didn't catch fire this weekend. But he, all... but they did uh, but they did remember the heat. They just remembered not to apply it to the top of his car. I would say they've shown progression, but then we'll talk about Marco Andretti's race in a minute. Oh, uh, poor Marco. Marco was in line for a well-deserved uh, a top five finish out of this. And he was then, he was uh, due for fourth. Yeah, and Brian Herta just completely messed the numbers up. He took ownership of it. Uh, he says he didn't know that they had underfueled the car until Marco had radioed into him saying, guys, uh, the uh, the light's coming on. I don't think we have enough fuel to make it to the finish. That's never a good sign. The light's coming on. Like, so let me get this straight. The man who fuel-saved Alex Rossi to an Indy 500 victory and is the guy that is genuinely regarded as a brilliant fuel-saver, an excellent strategist, fucked up the strategy because he couldn't count the fuel properly. IndyCar yeah. contains multitudes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. Um... Shout out to our friend and yours, Zoe Hamilton, who I know is listening to this. I'm so sorry, sweetheart. That is a brutal way to lose a fourth place. Like, Herta like, did not even know it was happening until Marco himself buzzed in saying the fuel light came on. Unbelievable. He ended up slipping to 10th in the end after having to, having to, take, after having to take basically a splash and dash on the penultimate lap. Um, brutal luck for him. As mentioned, Alex Rossi in 8th. Um, Joseph Newgarden, oh boy, ninth place, not his finest hour. I'm still, I'm, I'm not, I'm not giving up hope yet. I know he is 62 points down, but there's still time to get this back. The one will still be defended. <sighs> I'm not so sure on that one. Um, mm, I must admit, I it's, it's looking precarious from here, I have to say. Marco Andretti in 10th, solid result for Jordan King in 11th place as well. Ed Jones in 12th. Um, we have to mention this, by the way. Um, Ed Jones and Connor Daly got into a fight on Instagram after the race. Um, like, of course, now this begs the question, wait, Connor Daly? Yeah. Wait, what is Connor Daly doing beefing with Ed Jones? Is it just from, like, the pit lane? No, as it actually turns out, Connor Daly has a drive. And he made it into the second round of qualifying. 
Yeah. yeah Connor he... Daly was plugged into the number 88 car that was previously occupied by Gabby Chavez. Um, the, the prevailing theory is that Harding Racing are going to expand to teams next year, to a two-car effort. Gabby Chavez is still contracted the team through 2019, but the rest of the season will basically just be a gong show to see who would potentially get that second drive. Other names we can expect to see towards the end of the season include Colton Herta, Santi Rutia, and Patricio O'Ward. Nice. So, yeah, expect to see more guys in that 88 car soon. Connor Daly filled in this weekend. Had a very solid job, actually, bringing it home in 13th place, which is Harden's best result of the year, believe it or not. Um, so, yeah, great drive from Connor Daly, even though you wanted to basically tear Ed Jones' head off after the race, basically accusing Ed of, <laughs> of basically running him into the wall. And, uh, yeah, like, there was there, there was there was beef. Um <laughs> I'll see if I can. I'll see if I can find it on on Twitter. I'll, I'll see if I can find the the records. I think a friend of the show, Catherine Benham, had it on her Twitter a couple of days ago. Yes. Um, also, can we just uh, pour one out for Zayman Clayman Damon, who was mm-hmm. the least, the most ignored Canadian in this field? As we were talking about Toronto natives, James Hinchcliffe and Robert Wickens, uh, Zachary Clackerita Macri was also there. Like, hey, I'm, I may be from Montreal, but I'm still from Canada too, you guys. Yeah, he's Canadian, <laughs> right? Right? He's very much Canadian. You know, like, like that counts. But uh, yeah, like going down the rest of the field, Matthias Leist in 15th place, Hunter Ray in 16th after spinning after two separate spin outs. Rene Binder uh, ended up finishing two laps down in 17th after he stalled it as well. Uh, oh, shout out to Henry. I think he found the picture in question. Um, so, so Discord's loading up. Yeah, here it is. Um, it started when Daly said. Um, at Edward Jones, interesting move, pal. I think the corner goes right. Uh, <laughs> and as you can see, Jones is basically steering into Jones's, in, into Daly's car at this point. It's not a good look. Um, Daly goes, looks like, like Judge Jones in response, tends to happen when you hit me in the braking zone at Connor Daly 22. <laughs> Hashtag. Hashtag drilled ya. Drilled ya. And then Connor's responded by that saying, when I left you a lane to use? Huh, my bad. Hashtag drill you next time. Wow. <laughs> Wouldn't it be the first time Connor Daly's deleted a Twitter fight? Um. Oh my god. <laughs> we were just gonna let that one sit there. <laughs> just, just, uh, just uh, blowing my fingers right now. Ah, yeah. Yeah. So Sebastian Bourdais <laughs> finished a lowly 19th as his title hopes slowly start to crumble. Oh, poor Seb. As did Will Power in 18th place. Spencer Piggott in 20th after he hit the wall in the early goings. Graham Rahul, who, who again ended up 15 laps down after his involvement in that big-ass spin. Um, Takuma Sato in 22nd. A shame because he was having a really good weekend before the race itself and was looking racy all weekend. And Max Chilton lost to the runners in 23rd place. As as uh, RJ alluded to in the championship standings as well, with that win, that is a hammer blow in terms of the championship race for Scott Dixon, who now has... Whoa, 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 you can't use that phrase. Why not? <laughs> That's reserved. Oh, is it now? <laughs> That's, only reserved. That's only reserved for Ferrari snark towards a specific driver in Formula 1. I'll allow it. <laughs> yeah, it was a, a crushing blow for the championship race. As Scott Dixon, There we go, that's bad. I, I, I broke out my thesaurus, it was very useful on this occasion. Scott Dixon now has a 62-point lead in the championship race with just five rounds to go over Joseph Newgarden in second. 
as mentioned, uh, it's it's the, the the one will still be defended, but you gotta say it's not looking great for Joseph. Who, I mean, he got away with a big mistake last year at Watkins Glen and got away with it. He may not have gotten away with this one like that. That's not great. Um, eight points further back, Alex Rossi on 3.94. Hunter Ray still hanging in there as well on 3.73 in fourth place. Will Power it drops to fifth on 3.71. Um, and now, up to sixth place, is our friend and yours, Bobby Wickens, with 339 points. Now, up into sixth place, his, his brilliant rookie season continues. He's 19 ahead of Simon Paginot in seventh, who's, again, up the board now after his solid second place, his best result of the year so far, on 320 points. Graham Rahal slips to eighth on 313, who's now only one point ahead of James Hinchcliffe, who's back into the top ten on 312 points. Um, for a guy that missed the 500, he's having a hell of a season, you have to say. Um, it's like... Ninth overall now, Marco Andretti just about holds onto his spot in the top 10 on 266, only a point ahead of Sebastian Bourdais on 265. Pull one out for Marco Andretti. That's something I know I'd end up saying on this podcast. But, uh, whew. going into a bit of the news real quick as well before we move on properly. Um, it was announced literally about three hours ago at the time of recording. It's been rumoured for a little while now, but it, we got official confirmation IndyCar is going back to Laguna Seca next year as the season finale, as the new season finale of the series. Sonoma is out. Laguna Seca is in. Yay! Or something. Yeah! Woo! Corkscrews! Corkscrews for everybody! <laughs> yeah! This is, this is actually really fun. Uh, again, Laguna Seca Raceway uh, was was in danger of its long-term existence at one point, as it was up for sale not too long ago. Uh, but now it has a new owner, and now it has an IndyCar race for three years, and the series finale, just like it was way back in the olden days. Indeed. I mean, King, how do you feel about this? First of all, I'll let you, I'll let you sprout on this one first. Uh, hmm... I would say I'm of two minds. I'm, I'm glad that, you know, that Laguna Seca is back on the calendar. I don't know if it should be the finale, though. I like, yes, it has history of being the finale, but maybe it should be on an oval. In terms of quality of racing, I think it's something that we won't know entirely until we race there. But in terms of layout, it's very similar to Sonoma. Agreed. It's a uh, it's an undulating road course. Uh, there are very few opportunities to pass, uh, much like Sonoma. Um, and it was and again, the Indy Lights drivers had a tough time trying to get around. There are not too many overtaking opportunities outside of the Andretti hairpin at turn mm -hmm. one, the very last corner where somebody can get wrong. And of course, if you're feeling really, really brave, you can chuck one up the inside of the corkscrew, a la Alex Sonardi and or Ranger Vanderzand. Yeah, there's the club there is is not a very long one. Um, Jonathan Rain, you could probably throw Valentino Rossi and Mark Marquez onto that list as well if you're into your bike racing. But uh, it's hard to get a grip on this one because MotoGP stopped racing there about four years ago now, and like World Superbike still races there. I raced there a couple of weeks ago, um, and both races weren't particularly exciting. Um, it was, trust me, it was the last year's race at the Seca that broke the camel's back about 
competitive balance in world superbikes because because a lot of people who don't normally watch bike racing or watch world superbikes will tune in because they're giving a saker because it's such an iconic track and when people watch the product they didn't like it because jonathan ray and chas davis won their races fairly easily it's uh yeah. and i remember guys like keith ewan who's the you know bt sport commentator for moto gp now who basically has his jeans wrapped around his ankles whenever john mcphee does well um it's it's not pretty but he he chipped in on twitter and was like oh how is this so boring and and i was like mate you don't watch worlds like you don't get the context but then that started the enormous debate about what can we do to basically bring jonathan ray down a peg and it all started because of Laguna Seca. When I was telling people, if you'd actually watched all of the World Superbike season to that point, there was a lot of really good races. So I didn't believe it was a fair... Cr- I thought the track was the problem and not the series itself. But that's a debate for another podcast we may or may not do. But for me, I I fear for the quality of racing here. I don't think there's going to be many chances to pass people. Um... I think it could be very processional, and I just don't think Laguna Seca is a good fit for modern-day motorsport. I know Tony DeZeno on Twitter as well talked about the facilities not being particularly great either. When Remember when MotoGP yeah. was racing there, they could only have the top flight there. They couldn't have the two and three support classes because the paddock wasn't big enough. Um, same deal yeah, with that's a uh, That's something that might be fixed under new ownership. Yes. Uh, there's also We're also seeing a new return to old track strategy returning to tracks that were big in the heyday of in the heyday of cart once upon a generation road america success gateway international success uh ism raceway at phoenix uh portland to be Mm -hmm. determined it's it's interesting to say the least um it's an interesting approach i'm not sure I'm not sure if it's the right one on this one. I, I agree with King. I'd like to see an oval be the finale because I think you've you got a better chance of getting a more thrilling finale. Um, something like Texas, for example. Um, or, you know, Fontana like it used to be. But, you know, we've had this debate before on this show. It's the Laguna Seca. It's, it'll, it, you know, it'll look great. And, you know, who knows? Maybe it'll produce something great. As, as Henry mentioned in the, in the Discord chat, they said they feared about Barber because it's such a small track, and yet Barber's produced many a great race. So who knows how it turns, how it turns yeah, out right. in the cars. You've got to wait and see. But, yeah, uh, you know, I'm not the most optimistic guy in the world about that, but we'll have to wait and see how that goes. Um, next IndyCar race, two weeks' time in mid-Ohio. Did I mention Scott Dixon's quite good Yeah, and sure. Yeah, I mean, sure, he's won five times there, and, you know, he's still very good at permanent road courses, but that's not to say this championship is done. Oh, it's slowly starting to sink, and this championship is done. <laughs> Scott Dixon, you're so good at this. I hate and this. then Chip Ganassi um, might be right that contracting two cars might have been for the best. Yeah. I don't want Chip Ganassi to be proven but, right about anything. <laughs> but, uh... We also have some breaking news here as well. Um, this is not on our set list. Pietro Fittipaldi is getting uh, is back uh, in a car at Mid Ohio. Oh wow! Yes, that's awesome. <laughs> yes, yes, he is back from his uh, from his leg injuries that took him out of the six hours of Bob Franker shop. It took out a bunch of his season, but Pietro Fittipaldi is going to be back in the car. Great news. Pretty pretty Look, soon. That's great news. Lovely to hear that. Good to see him back after his horror crash at Spa. Um, great to see him on the mend and back in the car soon. 
a couple of extra news stories before we get out of Dodge on this slightly shorter than expected episode, I have to say. Um, Red Bull Racing. Now, again, very quietly, it was the worst kept secret in F1, and that was the Red Bull was going to hold the power. It was finally announced a couple of weeks back. Um, and now Red Bull have given Honda the green light to further test new engine parts, even if it means Tor also gets more engine penalties towards the end of the season. As I said in brackets here on the set, there's someone pray for Brendan Hartley. Um, <laughs> pray for Pierre, pray for Brendan, pray for Toro Rosso. They're now, as we expected, they are, as we as we said at the end of last season, they are now the guinea pigs, officially the guinea pigs for Honda for 2019. And uh, it sucks because I, I just hope Gasly and, and Hartley keep their seats for next season. But of course, that's no guarantee even knowing how this team operates. Um... But, yeah, I mean, as expected, they're giving Honda the green light to, to experiment some more and go for it because, of course, Red Bull want to throw every every resource they can at trying to pull their leg over on Mercedes and Ferrari. But, uh, King, I'm not convinced on this one so far. Uh, uh, like, I, I think having, you know, a development platform in race situations... It can do nothing but good things for the Honda program, especially in the long term. Yeah, in the long term. Yeah, this year is gonna. This year's done. This year's 2018 is done. Yeah. And by the way, I don't want to alarm everybody, but we're heading into the German Grand Prix, which is this weekend, and Scuderia Toro Rosso have 19 points. They are just barely clinging to eighth in the World Constructors Championship. Yeah, this is bad. Because, uh, yeah, Alf uh, Salver Bermeo. Salfa Bermeo is uh, is uh, coming like a freight train, a Monegasque-powered freight train, uh, and uh, Toro Rosso, a top eight place is not even secure. Yeah, it's a, it, it is a Charles, like Charles Leclerc literally cannot stop scoring points, and Toro Rosso right now have got a car that shows no sign of doing that, and like that fourth place he had in Bahrain feels like a long, long time ago. And to put it into perspective, McLaren aren't exactly looking rosy either when Fernando Alonso... And actually, it was actually, it was actually Zach Brown today that came out and said, this car is worse than last year's. Well, of course. <laughs> last year's car was the best chassis in Formula 1. Best chassis on the grid, fam. Best chassis on the grid. Just thought I'd keep reminding him of that one. And last of all, it was the Goodwood Festival of Speed this past weekend, and it was awesome. I wish I was there. I was meant to be there this year. Didn't quite happen. Bastards! But, um... It was awesome, and uh, shout out to Romain Dumas, who still remains the baddest motherfucker, uh, who had the third fastest Goodwood Hill climb in history in his electric-powered Pikes Peak car. It was awesome. Um, like, like the, the Nio hypercar as well, which I, I, I have to give an honorable mention to, it was second in the timed runs on, on the time shootout on the day. That car is a fucking rocket ship. Like I think I think this it's got fifteen hundred horsepower in it, or the equivalent of fifteen hundred horsepower in it, and it did a it did a six forty seven run at the Nordschleifer. I mean, holy shit! Yeah, yeah Peter Dumbreck was hustling that thing. I, I just want to point out as well, um, we had we had two uh, international Super GT alums at the top two in the shootout. Dumas raced there in two thousand one. Dumbreck won the Fuji five hundred kilometers. Neat. It's awesome. Um, so Dumas' time was a 43.86. 
uh, second only to Nick Heidfeld's still record lap of uh, 41 sits, and Graham White Jr.'s uh, attempt in a gold GR51 hill climb, a purpose-built hill mm-hmm. climb car. And a Formula One car. That's the only thing that's quicker. That's an electric-powered Volkswagen IDR. And they say they're going to be back for another run. I am very sad, though, that we did not see the Porsche 919 Evo take a full-on crack at it. Apparently, they wanted Volkswagen to have the glory this time Aww. out. How, how, how nice of them. How very, how very charitable um, on, on, on that occasion. But, uh, God, I think we're just about done here, folks. Um, something get a- did we did we not, did we fail to mention as well that uh, professional wrestling legend Bill Goldberg drove a NASCAR uh, Camping World Truck Series truck and speared it <laughs> right into a hay bale? I saw like, that. He was giving it full steam. <laughs> yeah, that 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 was that was beautiful. Um, <laughs> it, it it was a fun wreck. I mean, obviously, g- gladly Goldberg was okay. That man never fails to be entertaining. And, uh, yeah, he got out and he totally owned the thing. Um, put it in the hedge. God bless Bill Goldberg. <laughs> owned it better than my, it, owned it better than the Grand Tour alumnus Mike Skinner. Oh, yeah. Mike Skinner was going some, though. Like, holy, as I saw Skinner's running that, in that truck series car. Holy shit. Like. Yeah, again, he won the Daytona 500 pole as a rookie. People forget this. Yeah. I mean, granted, he didn't do much with it afterwards, but still. <laughs> Uh, what else do we have? Two autonomous car runs, one in a Ford Mustang and one in the in the fabled yes, it exists, the Robo Race car. It did a fu- it did a fully autonomous hill climb run at Goodwood. It did about five miles an hour, but still it counts. Yeah. Uh, Karim Shanhawk took one of uh, Juan Pablo Matoya's old Williams uh, F1 cars up the hill. That was Karim, like the happiest man on earth when he found that he was able to drive that Williams up the hill. God bless him. <laughs> Yeah, his job is basically William's heritage uh, F uh, test driver. He basically gets to drive all of William's cars from, you know, back when they were still good and winning things. So you're basically telling me he's doing Ryan King's dream job. <laughs> basically. <laughs> King, you, you have goals in mind now. Basically, be Karoon Chanhawk. we got some work to do. <laughs> And I think that covers all the high points from Goodwood. There's a whole lot of streaming content and a whole lot of video clips you can watch. Go watch that IDR run up the hill. That was fun. Yeah, it's all up on their YouTube channel. I highly recommend you go out of your way to see it. All of it was streamed live on YouTube for the world to see. So props to them for that. It was great and uh, very enjoyable. Again, I was watching it at, at, at 2 in the morning on Thursday, um, watching the uh, on-demand replay and seeing Dumas go up the hill that quick was a, was a joy. It was fantastic. Um, I was literally on my feet at three in the morning in my pants, going, "Holy shit!" Um, and that was that was great. So I'm here for all of that. And I think on that note, I think we're done here. So without further ado, basically you can find us one more time, youtube.com forward slash motorsport101. Again, f- special thanks to everyone that checked out the Ferrucci video. That was awesome. Um, shout out to everyone that's on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash motorsport 101 we're on twitter at motorsport underscore 101 our personal handles at harrison 101 hd at ryan eric king and at rj o'connell and if you really like us you can back us on patreon patreon.com forward slash motorsport 101 five dollars gets you early access to both this show and bike live get ready for bike live episode 69 later this week no one said nice. I'm very disappointed in this podcast. <laughs> you degenerate. What is wrong with you? 
Nice. Indeed. And episode 69 will be out later this week. And uh, Nice. And there we go. Better. And um, <laughs> in that one, surprise, surprise, the world may shock you. Mark Marquez wins at the Saxon ring. You would never have seen that coming, would you? Yes, 9 of 9 for Mark Marquez at the ring. Um, he really is invincible round there. Had a hard time of it getting past Lorenzo and Petrucci to start off with, but uh, uh, another magnificent performance from Marquez, who takes a 46-point lead into the summer break in the championship. And he would go on to celebrate by jumping in a Valentino Rossi grandstand. <laughs> Truly the bravest man in the world, because that would not be me. <laughs> and luckily, everyone took it with good grace. Thank God. <laughs> That's all I'm saying. As well as that, Brad Binder gets his gets his first Moto Two victory. King, start celebrating. <laughs> I know, I know. <laughs> victory. I don't think I don't think we know the words of the South African national anthem. All I know is if you want a winder, you gotta go with a Binder. <laughs> so yeah. Like, KTM's other great rider wins the race. Brad Binder celebrates a new contract to KTM with the Moto2 team by winning his first Moto2 race uh, in excellent fashion ahead of Joanne Mir and Luca Marini. And Moto3 where Jorge Martin breaks the field yet again to win his fifth race of the season. Jorge Martin is a weapon. Keep an eye on that dude in the future. He is going to be a superstar. You heard it here first. Um, all of that. Um, from all the action and reviews from the Saxon Ring on episode 23 times 3 of Bike Live later this week. And I know what you're thinking. We didn't skip a number. Episode 150 was also going to be up very, very soon as well. Um, well. Probably already out by the time you listen to this show. But hey, it's still there anyway. And if you haven't checked that out already, go out of your way to do so. It features the very best of Motorsport 101 to this point. Thank announced- you for enjoying our clip show. <laughs> Well, you know, you know we've made it when we can have our own clip show. That's that's when you know you've, you're going places. It's either that or basically an episode, basically a series of the Power Rangers. We get clip shows every season. But uh, yeah, some of your favorite moments of Motorsport 101 over the last four years have been compiled into one easy-to-watch digestible best of, hosted by me, Andre Harrison. So episode 150 of Motorsport 101 will be up very soon, if not already. Check it out if you haven't already. It's a fun time. And uh, yeah... It should be fun, and amazingly, about half the clips are at my own expense, which is, you know, hardly a surprise. Some of it was at my expense, too, and some of it was at King's, and some of it was our friends of the show's expense. But it was mostly me. Um, (laughs) Anything to get one over on yours truly, right? (laughs) Anytime. But uh, hey, that's always a fun time for all involved. It's episode 150 out as well. Thanks to everyone for listening in, as always. I've been Andre Harrison. They've been RJ O'Connell and Ryan King. Thank you very much for listening. We'll catch you guys next time. And yeah, we'll be back for the German Grand Prix. Until then, sayonara. Later, yo! Bye! Thankfully, this German Grand Prix won't have Mark Marquez. It'll be a better win than Lewis Hamilton at this point. (laughs) You know he's going to take revenge and win this Grand Prix this weekend, right? 
Yeah, he's gonna curb stomp everybody. Fuck. I don't know. Or I would just be wary if there were any South Korean drivers entered in this one. Ooh. 